Welcome to Israel Week in Review. I'm your host, Ben Ronsman. Today's Tuesday, September 14th. In about 15 minutes per week, you can gain insight into the top stories taking place in Israel and the broader Middle East. We also provide you with explorations of history, culture, politics, and more. Visit IsraelWeekInReview.com to receive updates and hard-hitting content. Israel Week in Review is brought to you by Cleveland Jewish Funerals. Cleveland Jewish Funerals has opened a new funeral home on Miles Road, conveniently located near Orange and Solon. They conduct Jewish funerals for every Jewish denomination, from Orthodox, Conservative, Reform, and the Unaffiliated. To learn more about pre-planning, contact Community Liaison David Pearl, clevelandjewishfunerals.com. This program is also supported by Origin Story Marketing. Search engine optimization is essential in today's business environment. To learn more about how Origin Story Marketing can help customers find your business, visit OriginStoryMarketing.com. Casual observers of the Israeli scene are often struck by what seems to be ever-present regional turmoil. For the last century, this part of the world has remained profoundly unstable, and events routinely transpire which change the geopolitical calculus in significant ways. The ground always seems to be shifting. I'm reminded of the Chinese curse. May you live in interesting times. Well, the news from Israel is almost without exception fascinating. Perhaps this is the unfortunate downside to living in a country whose very existence and stubborn success is imbued with historical and eschatological meaning. Whether one is religiously observant or skeptic, God, religion, history, eschatology, and destiny all seem to be underlying themes that are present in ways not readily apparent in other global conflicts. My years visiting and living in Israel have always given me the sense that even mundane life is imbued with cosmic and civilizational significance. When one is in Israel, you cannot help but feel that you are living in historical times. It must be stated that the founding of the modern state of Israel was ultimately a revolutionary act. It was an axial shift in Jewish history, where the Jewish people began to shape their own society and destiny. But Jewish history has enduring and even universal implications for the world. One simply cannot conceive of world history and culture without the contributions of the Jewish people. Judaism has contended with the nations of the ancient Near East. It was a contemporary of classical Greece and Rome. Its national narratives, as contained in the works of the Hebrew Bible, are cherished and venerated by both Christians and Muslims. Judaism has made an indelible impact on its daughter religions. Certainly, modernity must give at least a co-writing credit to its Jewish contributors. Durkheim and Marx, Freud and Einstein, Milton Friedman and Steven Spielberg, Leo Strauss and Leonard Bernstein. The Jews have made a marvelous and, dare I say, miraculous fight in this world, far in excess of their rather meager numbers. To put this into perspective, the global Jewish population consists of a slice of humanity considerably smaller than the margin of error in a Chinese census. Certainly the sheer improbability of success of such a grandiose project as the founding of the State of Israel must give one pause. I'm reminded of the words of one of Russia's most prominent 20th century political, social, and Christian thinkers, Nikolai Berdeyev. The Jews have played an all-important role in history. Their destiny is too imbued with the metaphysical to be explained either in material or positive historical terms. Its survival is a mysterious and wonderful phenomenon, demonstrating that the life of this people is governed by special predetermination, transcending the process of adaption. The survival of the Jews, their resistance to destruction, their endurance under absolute peculiar conditions and the fateful role played by them in history all point to the particular and mysterious foundations of their destiny. I imagine that in part, it is the seeming improbability, anomaly, and unusual character of the Jewish people that causes so much hostility against Jews in the Jewish state. 
Jewish history is so profoundly strange that it may be understandable why people are so divided on the subject. Jews have a tendency to be loved or hated. Few don't have an opinion at all. Never before has a people returned to its ancestral homeland from every conceivable corner of the earth, revived its ancient language, and reestablished political sovereignty and self-government. That this country has become a regional military and economic power is more remarkable still. These developments are simply unprecedented. Israel's adversaries routinely try to categorize the state of Israel as merely another variant of Western imperialism. Of course, this would have surprised Israel's founders, many of whom explicitly define their Jewish nationalism in anti-imperialist terms. Zionists did not seek a privileged colonial status, but considered the Jews one amongst the family of nations, that according to the prevailing precepts of Wilsonian internationalism, was worthy of national self-determination. Moreover, the Jewish people in the early 20th century can hardly be characterized as rapacious colonialists. Harried, harassed, and dispersed amongst the nations of the earth, the Jews had no other land to call their own. The idea that today's Israelis will return to Iraq, Yemen, Germany, Romania, Algeria, Afghanistan, Ukraine, or any of the myriad other places where their ancestors sojourned is a serious miscalculation. As much as their detractors wish to frame the narrative this way, the Israelis are unlike the French in Algeria, the Dutch in Indonesia, or the Belgians in the Congo. To paraphrase the famous Israeli song by Echud Manor, Ein lanu eretz acheret. Zionism has confounded its critics, who were never sure whether it was a conservative or radical movement. Surely the Jewish claim to the land of Israel stemmed in large part from sacred Jewish history as recorded in the Bible. But then again, so many of the country's early founders were self-professed free thinkers and even agnostics. In the age of nation states, it was thought that the Jewish people's strange status as a dispersed but distinct people without a homeland was a cause of anti-Semitism. Jews everywhere were thought of as a distinct people, but in no country could they claim a majority. It was thought that remedying the status of statelessness would cause anti-Semitism to diminish. It was hoped that the Jews would then more closely resemble the other nations of the earth and Jewish existence would be normalized. This was not to be. Ironically, today it is the Jewish people's insistence on a nation state of their own that arouses opposition from some quarters. Whereas in the past, the independence of nation states was considered a liberal or progressive principle, Today we live in an era where the nation-state is held in low regard by Western elite global opinion. This self-appointed cognoscenti argue that nation-states are passé, despite their near ubiquity. Coherent national narratives are held in even more disrepute. We see evidence of this in the United States and other Western countries, where there seems to be a conscious campaign of cultural deconstruction. National narratives of any sort, even narratives that in previous eras would be considered liberal and tolerant to minority populations, are today looked upon with disdain. The end result, of course, is a lack of national cohesion and a consequent decrease in societal trust. Trust amongst neighbors and within communities. Trust in the media, academia, medicine, police, government, and more. The public opinion of most of these institutions has declined precipitously. Many affluent industrialized nations seem to be suffering from the national equivalent of an autoimmune disease, affluenza. Israel stands in marked opposition to this trend. The nation has a founding ethos, takes pride in its history, culture, language, and religion. There's a strong sense of national purpose and shared destiny. All of these ideals were once considered fully compatible with, perhaps even necessary for a functioning liberal democracy. They're now considered retrograde and reactionary by many of society's self-anointed and self-appointed opinion leaders in the media and academia two powerful institutions that have an outsized role in the shaping of opinion and culture, irrespective of their diminished reputation.
Of course, many critics of Israel, with genuine sincerity, point to the still unresolved conflict with the Palestinians with righteous indignation. And it is true, Israel will never find comprehensive peace unless Palestinians are given political autonomy and a sense that they can shape their own destiny. But the unfortunate truth is that Israel has offered the Palestinians numerous offers of statehood, including twice within the last two decades, under terms that will likely never again be so advantageous to them. Fundamentally, the problem is that the prevailing currents within Palestinian nationalism cannot countenance legitimizing the state of Israel in any way. Its leaders were incapable of dispensing with the maximalist dream of total victory and redemption. The Palestinian leadership was simply unwilling to transition from a revolutionary movement at the forefront of Arab and Muslim consciousness to the mundane and difficult challenges of administering a small, resource-poor state. The dominant narrative within Palestinian society remains the idea that the birth of the state of Israel is a historic error, a glaring example of destiny disrupted, a mistake that must be amended and more radically still, a malignant cancer that must be removed from the midst of the Arab and Islamic world. Even Israel's most ardent and committed peace activists cannot countenance a Palestinian national movement with goals such as these. I lived in Israel between 2000 and 2003, in the midst of the Al-Aqsa Intifada, and watched as the entire Israeli peace camp came to the collective realization that Yasser Arafat could not make a historic compromise that permitted the Israeli state to survive and thrive as the nation state of the Jewish people. More troubling still was the reality that Arafat was hardly the most radical voice within Palestinian society. The Israeli peace movement has never recovered. Palestinian society has long nurtured a narrative where cosmic justice will be done and Israel will be ultimately destroyed. According to the tenets of this uncompromising belief, like a deus ex machina, the Edenic Palestinian paradise that was lost will be restored in full. Now opinions differ, of course. Islamist thinkers may hope that a Muslim polity will be established that will transcend national boundaries and unite the Ummah under the rule of a caliph. Pan-Arab nationalists have a different variant of this dream. According to this view, Palestine must reintegrate with greater Syria, al-Shams, in an Arab-speaking polity that encompasses today's Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, and the Palestinian territories. Some variants of this ideology include both Iraq and the Arabian Peninsula. Neither position is tenable for Israel. These ideologies give the region's Jews a rather narrow set of options ranging from defeat and dispersion to genocide. Of course, this leaves us in an untenable position, or at least an unresolvable one. But all hope is not lost. Who would have predicted in 1965, for example, that Israel would have formal peace agreements with Egypt and Jordan, to say nothing of the UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, and Morocco? Who would have imagined that Israel would have close, albeit informal security relations with Saudi Arabia, Oman, and the Kurdish region of a federal Iraq? Who could have imagined that Israel's sworn enemies the Ba'athist regimes of Saddam Hussein in Iraq and the al-Assad clan in Syria would have undergone their ignominious fates. The comparative military, economic, and diplomatic advantage between Israel and its enemies has never been greater. What is needed is a recognition that the Palestinians can no longer exercise a veto over peacemaking with the Arab world. The previously prevailing paradigm has been stood on its head. Where once it was presumed that Israel would negotiate a peace agreement with the Palestinians and only then make peace with the surrounding Arab world, the reverse is now true. Peace will come from the outside in. There is finally a recognition in the Arab world that the Palestinians are too divided, too weak, and too intransigent to make the historic compromises necessary for a lasting peace. While the precise parameters of any such agreement are difficult to determine with any degree of specificity, we do have some understanding of the broader outlines of a deal. 
Ultimately, the Palestinians do not want to be ruled by Israel, and Israel does not want its military to rule over the Palestinians. But the armistice lines from the War of Independence, sometimes referred to as the pre-67 boundaries, are quite simply not sacrosanct. Indeed, they're rather arbitrary. These lines simply demarcate where the fighting stopped during Israel's war for independence. What is important is that the Palestinians rule over their own affairs and have territorial contiguity and freedom of movement between the different territories now largely ruled over by the PA and Hamas. Of course, some of this territorial contiguity can be achieved through the construction of bypass roads and tunnels, in much the same way that isolated Jewish communities will ultimately be connected through this self-same infrastructure. Economic development and stability must be the hallmark of any peace. It will happen incrementally, and perhaps without a flashy signing ceremony in the White House Rose Garden. Ultimately, the equation will be Palestinian economic development for Israeli security. This is precisely the sort of arrangement that will be discussed in the coming weeks under Egyptian leadership. But international donor fatigue for the Gaza Strip has set in. No one wants to donate money to develop Gaza or invest in industry there, only to see it destroyed in some inevitable future conflagration triggered by a volley of rocket attacks or arson balloons. The question remains, does the Palestinian Authority possess enough political legitimacy in order to direct such redevelopment? Can the totalitarian and fundamentalist ideology of Hamas somehow countenance a significant de-escalation with Israel? The current prospects for successful final status negotiations could hardly be less favorable. However, there may be significant opportunities in the realm of economic development for the Palestinians. I suspect that these are the sorts of initiatives that we will see being put forward in the coming months. If these initiatives can improve the economic situation of the Palestinians and prevent rocket fire and balloon attacks from being launched against Israel, then the effort will have been worth it. But ultimately, the onus is on Hamas. If previous behavior is any indication of the likelihood of success, then the odds of such an interim agreement at the present time are not very good. But we mustn't lose hope. Let us consider the unprecedented acceptance of Israel in the region and hope against hope that a mutually beneficial interim agreement can be reached. I'm reminded of that pithy quote from Israel's first prime minister, David Ben-Gurion. In Israel, in order to be a realist, one must believe in miracles. This has been Ben Ronsman from Israel Week in Review, providing you with a breakdown of this week's news from Israel, as well as thoughtful perspectives on the region's politics, history, culture, and more. Visit IsraelWeekInReview.com in order to receive regular updates and hard-hitting content. Please like us on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on any of the channels where this program is available. This includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Stay tuned for additional content, including our deep dives on varied topics and upcoming interviews. Israel Week in Review is brought to you by Cleveland Jewish Funerals. Cleveland Jewish Funerals has opened a new funeral home on Miles Road, conveniently located near Orange and Solon. They conduct Jewish funerals for every Jewish denomination, from Orthodox, Conservative, Reform, and the Unaffiliated. To learn more about pre-planning, contact Community Liaison David Pearl, ClevelandJewishFunerals.com. Israel Week in Review has been brought to you through the generous support of Origin Story Marketing, helping customers find your business through search engine optimization. To learn more, visit originstorymarketing.com.